0: And we thank you, Father, for what you're going to do today to heal and bring your people to full wholeness and health. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Yeah, I was thinking about that scripture recently. Um, I think it's Psalm 105. that says he brought them out with silver and gold and there was not one feeble person among them. And I can remember when we started this ministry, uh, the Lord spoke to me and told me that there were a couple of mandates on this ministry. And one of them was that people were to walk in divine health and that we were to have no feeble people among us. And I thank God that that's been <clears throat> true for the most part. That those who have had, had attacks in their body uh, have quickly recovered. Uh, and so it's not that we're we're you know totally <laughs> you know uh, uh, free of any kind of infirmity, weakness, or attack physically but there is not one feeble one among us we all keep going and pressing forward in the lord when you work for god it you have to stay whole you have to stay healthy you have to stay sound in your mind in your body and in your spirit so this is something that that just he gave me and told me you know instructed me how to do it many of you have read our Divine Health Prayer, you read it, uh, you uh, uh, pray that at least twice a week, most people in ministry, and that's really what has kept us healthy and kept us well, that we on a regular basis confess in agreement with a prayer partner that we prosper and we are in health even as our souls prosper and don't give root to infirmity in your body. So that's a tremendous blessing because if you're a watchman and and you're praying all the time, uh, you're a prime target for the enemy. And we know that and we don't capitalize on it, but we have to make preparation against it. And so this is our defense against being taken down by the enemy is that we continually feed on the word and just build it into a regular routine in our watch prayers. So it's a great thing to have an assignment for God. It's even a greater thing to be able to carry it out year after year after year without fail. And so we're moving up because we are are creating a miracle atmosphere here uh, because I, I believe we need to have a miracle atmosphere at all times. And I'm not one of these people that just totally depends on the faith of the believer, uh, you know, and God being in a good mood or something that we, we get people healed. But I believe we need to walk in the atmosphere where you're healed continually at all times. Amen. And I think that would be a great blessing. That's more like what I think heaven is. And if we're having things down here on earth as they are in heaven, then we have to have the proper atmosphere for what God wants to do. And so that's it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So today we're going to teach, today uh, we're talking about pleading the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Now many of us have heard that said, and we, you know, some of us have some understanding of what it means Uh, it is a term that was uh, developed um, in pentecostal circles Um, i think it dates back to maybe the 1920s if i'm not mistaken it was a revelation that obviously somebody who understood god to some degree had and i think it's good to understand what God revealed to people that caused them to give these expressions. If you know much about the history uh, uh, of the church, and and I would say the history in the last, say, for instance, 100 years, um, there are a lot of songs were developed that had to do with Christians being warriors, soldiers, and the blood of Jesus playing a very important role in our uh, life of redemption or our new life. And I think people began to get revelation from God on exactly what the blood of Jesus does and did for us. And so there was a, a, uh, um, a group of individuals, Pentecostal individuals, who began to say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. And they began to get miracles just from saying those words. That's why these things are handed down to us because they have worked for people at some time. And if you walk away from the place of revelation, sometimes you're just left with the phrase. But even if you don't know the revelation behind the phrase, sometimes if you say the phrase in faith, it works just like it did. So this is one of those things that works, and sometimes we don't understand exactly why it works. But I think during the time that they developed this saying, people, you remember, you know that song. Do you know the song "Just As I Am"? You're familiar with that. "Just As I Am," without one plea, but that the blood was shed for me. And at the time this was developed, there were some important court cases that were going on. And people were watching them very carefully. Uh, one of them was the Scopes Monkey trial where the teacher was caught teaching evolution, and which was illegal in the state. I think it was either in Tennessee or Kentucky or something like that. And uh, Clarence Darrow, who was a very prominent lawyer, was one of the attorneys in that trial. There were some other important law things that happened throughout that time that made legal terms a little more commonplace in everyday conversation. And so couple the understanding that legal terms are more commonplace with an understanding that the blood of Jesus is a legal entity in the earth. And somebody got the understanding... That when you sin, you become open to accusation. And that you have to enter a plea when you're accused. And so people began to say, I plead the blood. Huh? Because how often are we accused? Now... Oftentimes when we're accused, we guilty. Huh? We are so guilty and pitiful. We got the smoking gun, the bloody glove, the sock with the, the DNA. We got everything all piled up in our... Huh? See, that boy had a mother that was a Pentecostal woman that was probably born around the time this saying was prominent. And she more than likely pled the blood on her son's behalf. Because didn't they find him not guilty? And so you have to understand that when you are accused you must answer and enter a plea. Hmm? Somebody took me to court recently. And I felt totally, totally innocent. I didn't want to go down there, but I had to go and I had to enter a plea just like a common criminal would have to do. Uh So sometimes when we're accused, we're guilty and sometimes we're not guilty. We're innocent. But I can tell you, whatever your condition is, you must enter the same plea. You plead the blood rather guilty or innocent because only the blood has the power to exonerate you. From what we get accused of. Who can pay for their own sin? Who can pay for their own righteousness? None of us. So whether the devil finds you guilty or innocent, you always plead the blood. You hear me? And that will get him off of you quicker than anything will because the blood is totally innocent. It totally exonerates you of all guilt. Whenever you have find yourself being accused, you get under the blood by pleading. That's my, I entered that plea, Jesus. I entered that plea. See? That's the plea you always enter is the blood of Jesus. You don't stand with people and try to proclaim your innocence. And you don't understand my situation. And you don't know what they did to me. And I'm telling you it's rough out there. You plead the blood. Because that is the Christian's best and only defense against any accusation of the enemy. So we got to understand this and we got to understand why this is so. In any legal proceeding, there is a typical court process by which justice is determined. Now, if I came over to your house and I went through your living room and took what I wanted, and I went through your dining room and took what I wanted, and you didn't have any power to stop me from taking anything, you're at a loss unless you do something else. And when you do something else, you go to court. You take someone to court with evidence that they have done some wrong to you. And this is what happens in the life of every individual that's ever born. The Bible says we're born in sin and we are shaped in iniquity. And so when we are born, we come into this life with sin and guilt on us. We have done. We have received. An offense in birth. Just coming to the earth. Passed down to us from generation to generation. The Bible says by one man's sin, all were brought into bondage. So by Adam's one sin, all of us are born guilty. We're born guilty. And that's why the Bible says all have sinned and fall short, fallen short of the glory of God. If you never do anything just being born in sin, you are guilty. And you are guilty in God's court because God only recognizes righteousness. So we have to enter a plea in the court of heaven in order to get exonerated from sin, whether you do anything bad or not, whether you think it's your fault or not, or whether you had a a dysfunctional background, upbringing, childhood, adulthood, whatever you had, hood hood, white (laughs) hood. Whatever kind of hood you had, you were still guilty. And see, this is what keeps a lot of your little unsaved friends out of church and out of righteousness. Because all they can think of, well, I'm a good person. I never do anything wrong to anybody. I do this right. I do that right. I do that right. But you are still guilty in God's court because you are not righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. And so God, in his great wisdom, in his great understanding, and his great mercy, has developed a process by which we can become acquitted. Now listen, folks. If they got the drops on you, you got the smoking gun, the bloody glove, DNA all over the place. Your fingerprints are spotted up everything. You got the shoe. You know how they do the shoes now. They can tell by the shoe print. You know, just who the manufacturer is. Your Bruno Mollies have been found. $800 shoe at a crime scene. You understand? (laughs) If they have found all of that on you, you can hardly enter a plea of innocent. Hmm. Now, you can enter a plea of not guilty, you can say no contest, you can say a lot of things, but you still are dependent upon 12 people who may or may not be in a good mood today, or a judge, you're depending upon a human being to determine your guilt or innocence. You know, the DNA testing that they have used thought they were developing to convict people has done more to release the non-guilty than it has to convict the guilty. Huh? And so it doesn't de- matter a whole lot what your whether or not you really committed the crime. What matters is will the judge what will the judge honor as far as exonerating you? What will the judge honor? Is there something, God, they have found all this evidence on me. Is there something that will get me off? Is there something that I wasn't there, God, and they don't believe I wasn't there? Is there something that will get me off and that was something that will tell people that I didn't do it? And that thing is the blood of Jesus. When you plead the blood of Jesus, then the blood of Jesus speaks on your behalf. See, that's why he says we have an advocate with the Father. The advocate speaks only through the blood. Huh? No blood, no advocate, huh? He only speaks through the blood. So if Jesus is going to be your lawyer, your plea has to be the blood of Jesus. Jesus. You don't have to try and declare your innocence, proclaim your innocence, tell people where you were, find a witness, find another witness. Witnesses come and go, honey. They discredit witnesses all the time. All they got to do is find out your witness is just as big a sinner as you are or close to it and your witness is totally shot. But when we plead the blood... Then we can shut up and the blood speaks on our behalf. It talks for us. Amen. So the court of heaven has found every human being guilty. The court of heaven has found that. But the court of heaven has also provided a plea for you. This told you what you must plead. I have a plea already set up for you. And this is not a plea bargain either. Where they sit up and listen, look at your record and say, Listen, if I take you into a court, you know what they go, they gonna see all this. So I tell you what, if the good George is in a good mood, we might be able to reduce this sentence and they might make you do three months. Mm-hmm. Or they might make you do three years. But I'm telling you, if we add another charge to this rap sheet of yours, and you have to go on trial, they're going to sock it to you, buddy. So let's just save everybody some time and some money. The judge might think that's a good idea because we don't have to go to court and spend all this money and all this time on you and you're a hardened criminal. So why don't you take a plea bargain hmm, and get your time at a discount rate? But you still got to serve time. So even in the best that the legal system on this earth has to offer a person, you will never, ever, ever get free. You'll always either have a record. You'll have something against you. You'll have something that they can't not remove. But if you plead the blood of Jesus and when you enter your plea, Father, I am guilty. I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Yes, Lord, I did this. I lived a sinful life before I knew you. Yes, God, since I've been a Christian, I've messed up a lot of times and I've sinned. I can't keep my mouth shut and I can't keep my eyes in my head. And I can't do a lot of stuff I need to do. And I'm not innocent. I'm guilty. But I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Father, I come to you just as I am. Guilty as all get out with only one plea, and that is that the blood of Jesus was shed for me. When you plead the blood, you understand it was shed on your behalf for your personal sins. This is not some generic kind of salvation that, oh, Jesus died for everybody, and if you just confess, no, God, I am guilty, and in the court of heaven, I deserve to go to hell eternally. But I plead the blood as my only defense. I don't want to talk about what my upbringing was and what people did to me and how much pressure I was under. And this is why I did this. No, I plead the blood. I shut my mouth and keep, quit digging a bigger hole for myself. And I enter one plea, and that is the blood of Jesus. And in pleading the blood and entering the plea of the blood, you allow the court of heaven to... To examine, to see if there is any evidence against you after you enter your plea. So we all have a court process that we have to go through. You have a courtroom set up in your brain. Did you know that? Your conscience can either accuse or exonerate you. Huh? You ever had one of them bad weeks where it seemed like every time you turn around, you'd have messed up something with somebody and somebody mad at you? and this. You can even, even, you know, they even have glue on stamps now, and the stamp didn't get on the letter and your bill get paid on time. Huh? And so you'll have situations like that, and you think to yourself, my goodness, what is wrong with me? I don't even feel like a Christian anymore. What has happened to me? See, you have a little legal system running around you in you at all times. The Bible says that as a believer now, your conscience bears witness with you in the Holy Ghost. So not only as a believer now you got a bad conscience about you, but the Holy Ghost is bearing witness to, yeah, you messed up. You done had a bad week. And so what do you do to get yourself, boy, I sure wish I can get him some worship now and, and get to feel like I felt the last day of the conference or the morning of the conference. Here I am, I done messed up again. Huh? And you all know what it's like. We run around the conference. No, this isn't All I got to do. Let me see who I'm going to mess with today. right? <laughs> because she thinks she's off the hook, don't she? See, she messed up three days ago, and she's thinking, huh? <laughs> no, I see, see, I get him today laughing a lot. But you see what I'm saying? We in worship, everybody feeling good. And I saw everybody laying on the floor. Miss Peggy and preached her little heart out there, <laughs> weeping for y'all, and carrying on, and laying hands off. Okay, everybody feeling good. But see, by tonight, somebody going to forget they didn't plug the soup up. See, they thought I was coming for (laughs) Sheree. Bam! (laughs) Oops, I didn't mean that. I meant Bam, not Pam. (laughs) (laughs) And then some of them manage to stay out of trouble. Some of them just can't get, almost can't get in no trouble whatsoever in their job. Huh? Always look, I got mine done. (laughs) Pam always messing up. So you get it on something else, see, huh? Can't get your bills paid on time, huh? But see, before the day is over, your conscience, which bears you witness in the Holy Ghost, will verify that somewhere you have missed the mark. Not trying to be bad. Trying to do the right thing. Huh? Huh? Why? Because God has a higher standard than what we have personally. See, the Holy Ghost is not so much trying to beat you up and make you feel bad for missing the mark, but he is trying to direct you toward God's standard, which is much higher than you would ever set for yourself and ever thought you could achieve. So here you got all this, you're born in sin, shaped in iniquity, trying to live a normal life, trying to do the best you can, can't get nothing going on right. And then the Holy Ghost is messing with you and telling you the bar ain't set high enough. And you think, I'm tripping, getting up to trying to, eh, I can't get my knee up that high. Holy Ghost, you're going to raise the bar on me, Well with that, huh? And he is showing you that you cannot do this on your own power. God doesn't expect you to do it on your own. He doesn't expect you to get yourself acquitted every time. He expects you to go to where your first help came from when you first met him, and that's to the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus can take care of everything that we need to have taken care of. So sometimes we're, we enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. Hmm? They even have another one you can say, no contest, which a lot of people look at that as worse than guilty, huh? And so some in some courts it is considered to be a guilty plea. But you plead guilty because the blood of Jesus exonerates the guilty. See, being forgiven, let me tell you something, the beauty about what God does. Being, being forgiven is better than being innocent. And I'll prove it to you. Adam and Eve were innocent in the garden. But after they sinned, innocence was gone. When you're innocent, you have no knowledge of wrongdoing. You don't even know how to do nothing bad. You have no knowledge of sin. You just know God and you walk in righteousness and there's no judgment against you. There's no penalty against you. There's nothing against you. See, we don't understand that because we're born with a desire to sin. We're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But he can only be innocent one time. After innocence is lost, what do you do? You don't throw it away. God didn't throw us away because our innocence was lost. He prepared. He said the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. The blood spoke for us that we could be redeemed. We could be brought back. The blood told the Father, I can do it. I can bring them back. I can make them better than they were before they were innocent. So that's why not guilty plea ain't going to help you. Huh? See, when you, you mess up, you know, you know, the soup is late for dinner. Well, we did everything right and we just, you know, I don't know how this happened. I'm innocent is <laughs> what everybody's trying to say. But the soup is still late. Somebody guilty. Huh? So you know what you need to say, Pastor Barb, I'm just going to have to plead the blood on this one. I don't know how this happened. I don't know what's going on. I am not going to even protest and try to prove where I was instead of taking care of that soup. Huh? I'm just going to have to enter a guilty plea here because my fingerprints are on everything. But I do plead the blood which speaks on my behalf. The blood of Jesus is your defense. He speaks on your behalf and he talks the things that God wants to say about you. So what is the power of the blood? The blood speaks in spiritual terms. And it speaks in a language that heaven accepts. It's very hard to understand this concept because we don't understand everything, even in the (coughs) natural, about blood. But the Bible says the life of all flesh is in the blood. So we know that there is life in all blood. In fact, the Bible says God breathed the breath of life into us and we became a living soul. Now, when I worked in maternity nursing and, and you women who are mothers, you know, back in the day when you had babies, most women didn't even go knock me out. I don't care, wake me up with the I can't take this pain. But, you know, nowadays, <laughs> you know, it's a natural bird. I don't think anybody does natural because that's rough. I've been up there when, you know, blood-curdling screams up there. You do natural because you just can't get there in time and get you some, or, you know. <laughs> it's a mistake, okay? <laughs> Nobody does that on purpose to themselves. Not when they got morphine around here. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. I don't I understand that but uh, where was i but when babies are born they look like little dead people when they come out you know you don't see that the mother of course doesn't see it because she had to be real good to work that out but you know what i'm saying <laughs> see, i'm sitting here with some ladies you know i can talk to these sisters right here so i'm pulling from this and um, but but the thing of it is they are they look like little corpses You know, they're blue. They haven't pinked up yet. And so what happens in natural birth is that the creation of the first man is reenacted. Think about it. And this is why, you know, people, when we worked in maternity, everybody loved working there. Because it was the one place in the hospital where there was a different atmosphere than there was in all the other places. Because in other places, there was nothing but sickness, death, and dying. But in the maternity, labor, and delivery area, there was always life. And so people would come down there that worked in other areas. You know, you'd see people from workers, they always want to come by and see. let me see the babies. I didn't like babies. Because they were drawn to the life force that was going on in that place. So in every birth that has ever gone on, the, the creation of man is, is reenacted in every birth because you're born out like little corpses. You're just formed with clay and water and whatever it takes. And then whoosh, the breath of life comes in. You become a living soul then. And your blood begins to circulate in a different way with the force of air in it in a different way than it was in the mother's womb. Babies don't breathe in there. They have a totally different circulation pattern where they just draw the blood through the mother. And they say, well, when you're born, that's cut off immediately on birth. And then when you <sighs> you take me out of there. I'm mad at everybody. Everybody born mad at everybody. Huh? <laughs> but the breath of life has come into you now. And you become a, what happens if, if you have a heart attack and it stops out? The first thing they do, <sighs> put the breath of life back into you again. Amen? And you become a living soul. Well, when man, when man was created like that, God made him totally innocent. There was nothing wrong with us in our creation. But after we fell and got separated from the drawing of life and perfect life from God, then we entered into a state of sin from which we have to be delivered. So the blood of Jesus speaks in spiritual terms just like natural blood speaks to your body in natural terms. Natural blood has certain characteristics in it that help life. They support life on a microscopic level. So we'll never completely understand the impact of blood or the the dynamic of blood even in a natural sense. And let alone understanding it in a spiritual sense. It's very difficult to understand in a spiritual sense. But you can take advantage of everything that the blood has for you by entering your plea, the blood of Jesus. Let that be your answer to everything. Let that be your response to any accusation of the enemy. So we plead the blood in the court of heaven so that heaven hears our plea. You're more interested in what heaven thinks about you than you are about what humans think about you. Not that you want to totally disregard people, but you know, people will mess your mind up. If they live on a level of condemnation and religion and all this crazy stuff, so you enter your plea in the court of heaven, letting God know what you are depending upon for your defense, for your exoneration, for your, if you need legal help, who are you depending on? You depend on your advocate, and he is hired by the blood. When you plead the blood, the blood goes for you. He, he sets your bail. He bails you out. Then the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. If you're just forgiven and not cleansed, You feel dirty enough, you go out and do anything, huh? In fact, that's why the devil accuses us to get us to accept the fact that we're worthless and know, well, I ain't no good no way. I might as well go on, you know. I mean, that's how we get so many repeat offenders. I'm talking about in church. I ain't talking about. You never got convinced that you were cleansed of all unrighteousness. Huh? You know, a lot of people will say things like, When I first got, I would love to feel like I felt when I first got saved. I don't know why you don't. The same process that happened when you first met the Lord happens again and again and again. You confessed your sins he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you. And see, if your way becomes righteous, you sin less and less and less and less and less. Till it's pretty much no fun anymore. Huh? You God will change your want to's. He will he will change your I tell people I said when you got saved, your sinner got busted. It don't work no more. It's broke. And you can't put it back together the right way. People who are saved don't enjoy sin. You know why? Because the blood is constantly talking to us. Telling us we got no business doing this. This is not for you. You know better. Huh? So the blood then becomes your advocate. He goes to bat for you. He helps you to stay on the straight and narrow. Advocate is not just a lawyer who gets his fee and sees if he can get you know, get you in a courtroom with a soft judge and get you off. An advocate is somebody who goes to bat for you, who understands totally how you feel. Who can undertake for you because that person has been through the same thing. They have now court in the court system, they have you know how people are, is always getting something new in there. And they have victim advocates now. They have people who will come in and sit with you. If you have a loved one maybe who is murdered or something like that, they assign a person to you to walk through this thing with you, support you. Whatever you need, hold your hand. Sometimes they just sit there with you and hold the hand of the person that has to receive the bad news. They have them to sit there with them so that when the police have to question you and ask you, well, this is, is this your son? We found him deceased and we got to ask you some hard questions. Do you know anybody who might have done this to your child or something like that? They have an advocate who does his only job is to stay there with you throughout the whole process to make sure you come out whole and not broken from the process. So Jesus, being our advocate, has walked this life with us. He walked it as a sinless person. And he is an advocate who knows what we can do. And he holds up us up and he says, you know what? This is not going to take you out of here. This is not going to take you down. I know it, what it feels like right now. But if you will lean on me through this, I'll get you through it. And you'll be stronger. You'll be greater. You'll be better than you ever were. So that's the kind of advocate. That we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And when we make our plea in the court of heaven. The heaven hears our plea. And we have no other court to answer to. Our plea always begins with confession. Huh? You have no right to remain silent in this court. See because this is the ultimate court of justice. You will get no greater justice in this earth than you will get from God. So your your plea begins with a confession. Huh? God, I did do that. God, if I didn't do it this time, I probably, you know, <laughs> huh? Thought life messed up, heart messed up, people been messing with me, you know? Sometimes the Holy Spirit is convicting us. Our conscience is not good just because we haven't been edifying ourselves in the Word of God. See, if that's the bar that Jesus has set for you, if that's the standard He set for you, and you don't follow through on what He said you're supposed to do, your, your conscience will bear witness in the Holy Ghost that you are guilty. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the Christian, because we have a higher standard... We have a higher conscience than the sinner does. You have a higher conscience than you did when you first got saved. And so because of that, things will bother us. And we'll look around and try to think what we did wrong. I can't think of nothing. But you don't feel good on the inside either. And so this is when the blood needs to speak for you as well. When, When you have a standard that the Holy Spirit has set for you. And you're not keeping that standard. Sometimes you, you're you're drifting. You're not spending your time wisely. And you don't know why you feel out of sorts. You don't feel so good about yourself. This is when you enter the plea of, of guilt and you say, You know what, God? I really don't feel so good about myself. And Forgive me. i I got to get back to show me what I need to do. Whatever it is I need to do, I'm going to do it. Because I want to get back where I belong with you. Well, this is where the blood is your advocate. Because you need an advocate to convince you. That not only are your sins forgiven, but God has supplied the missing ingredient that caused you to veer off course. That has caused you not to be feeling like you need to be feeling before God. That God has supplied all of these things for you and the blood will speak to your heart direction Where you need to go, what you need to do, how do you need to prepare yourself so that you can get yourself back in righteousness and right standing with God. So the blood speaks on such a high level that we need him to be able to do this. Now how is the blood able to do? What is the purpose of the blood? What is the purpose of the blood? The Bible says that the blood is a witness. The blood bears witness, the Bible says, in the earth. So if the blood is a witness, what does the witness testify? Or what does a witness do? I answer my own question. A witness testifies. So blood must speak. Remember when, when God, when Cain killed his brother Abel. And God told him, he said, what is this that you have done? Cain killed his brother and hid the body and then was walking around like he didn't do anything and god talked to him and he said what is this that you've done in fact the bible doesn't say anything about where his body ever was hmm say so killed him in the field remember and he says what is this that you have done he says your brothers blood is talking to me So even though he probably buried the body, disposed of the body, and that's why God spoke to him about how he knew. The blood is evidence all the time. It is verification of life, and it never, ever, ever goes away. It continues to speak. So he says, your brother's blood is crying to me. You remember what he said? His brother's blood was crying for what? Vengeance. Whenever an innocent life is taken, their blood cries for vengeance. This is now. This is very real. Because if you <coughs> talk to me, y'all can tell I'm up with my forensics, right? <laughs> but but just you know, you know why this makes sense to me? Because as believers and watchmen, we have to know things. We have to investigate things. You have to understand what you're doing. But on the other side of it too, if you will listen to investigators, policemen who are assigned to murder cases, they will say, they will talk about the deceased as though they are actually speaking to them and they are in some kind of contact with them. We're doing this for whoever the deceased, the murdered person is, because they want. You listen to their language. They don't say, oh, they deserve for us to find the criminal. So we must do this for them because they want us to find who did this to them. They would be pleased with us if we could do this. They have a sense of of somehow having some contact with that individual in such a way that they are compelled to do. Cold case people, you know, when they investigate a murder for such a long time and they don't find a suspect and they don't find, they say, we can't afford to let you investigate this anymore. We'll put it into the cold case file. And then one day, somehow somebody says, I was going through the cold cases and I just couldn't put this down. Okay, you can turn it over. Now they are not in communication with the dead, folks. They are in communication with the living because that blood is still talking to them. That somebody is out there that did this and this is a wrong and I need to be vindicated. All innocent blood that's shed wants to be vindicated, speaks. That's why in this country, this country, in in most modern, what we call progressive countries, we're all suffering under a collective guilt right now. Anybody know where that guilt's coming from? Say it. Yeah. That's the blood, that's the innocent blood that's been shed that's speaking to everybody in every country that has legalized abortion. That innocent blood is still speaking. Hmm? How do you think young women who have had abortions can go on with a normal life? If that innocent blood Is speaking, I want to be vindicated. My life was cut short for no reason. How do you think the person that's guilty of that ever gets? They must plead the blood of Jesus over that innocent blood because that blood speaks the acquittal of the guilty. It doesn't matter if you were under pressure to do it. My boyfriend said that he was going to hurt me if I didn't get rid of the baby. I just didn't know what else to do. and, And people told me it was okay. It was just a blob of tissue. None of that matters. If you plead the blood, you are totally exonerated. Even from shedding innocent blood. You are totally cleansed of all unrighteousness. Because only his blood speaks louder than innocent blood. Huh? It speaks louder. It speaks better things. It speaks they are forgiven. It speaks they are righteous now. It speaks I've got it. I've taken care of this. Even this. It speaks better things. Huh? even more so plead the blood huh the worse you feel about the, the worst thing that you ever think you could do that you feel so bad about you need to plead the blood in that even more God I entered that plea I have no defense for myself. I don't want you to think that I'm innocent. I don't want you to think that I've got a good excuse. I don't want you to think anything except that the blood of Jesus has paid for me and it speaks better things. It's talking louder than the voice of whatever it is that my conscience is accusing me about. It's speaking louder. You've got to have the blood testify for you. You've got to have it speak for you. You've got to speak. It's got to speak on your behalf. When God made a promise to anybody in the Bible, it was sealed. It was not just a promise that was made. You know, people tell you all kind of things. You know, most of y'all fell in love because somebody promised you something. Well, most of y'all must be asleep because I'm going <laughs> to give me a glass <laughs> and drink of water. Huh? But they told you something. You hoped it was okay, huh? Hmm. In the way we deal, isn't that the way we deal with one another as humans? You know, little kids. You know, sometimes, and I feel bad sometimes for parents that don't understand the power of influence that they have over their children if they would keep their word. That is probably your most effective. Uh, weapon as a parent against a child's disobedience is you be the kind of parent that keeps your word. When your children see you keeping your word, they have a sense that their life is stable and their world is stable. If you're not the kind of person, if you make promises, and oh, if you feel like it, you do it and you don't feel like it, you don't get around to it, mm-hmm. you have unstable people around you. Kids will be unstable. That is the most effective defense against insecurity in a situation is keeping your word. And so as human beings, we're accustomed to, you know, somebody says something, you wait and see if it happens. Because there's nothing forcing you to understand that that person is doing it with a certainty. And so you wait until you get what? Some experience with that individual before you believe what they say. Because most of us, you know, in church people are good for this. You know, when you're in leadership, you're pastor, whatever, you're accustomed to people getting all excited about God and say, oh, I, I, you know, God told me I'm supposed to come here and, and you never see them anymore. Huh? Amen. Because that's how we deal. We're, we're sometimes we're just dealing in emotionalism, and sometimes God really has spoken, but then when we get away from the situation, we don't feel so good about it anymore. We think, well, you know, I I guess I wasn't supposed to go there. I don't like them no more. That kind of stuff. Don't you know people do that? do it all the time. When people promise you things, sometimes people get this little wicked thing in them, And they promise you, some people will promise you things, get you excited just to see you get disappointed. So, you know, they have control over you. See, that's when it's really bad. You're in the witchcraft then, you know, and don't know it. Huh? Because they're controlling you emotionally, getting you to get excited about something, and then let you down to see if they can get an end into your life. So a promise is extremely important, but most promises are not kept. And sometimes a person making the promise shouldn't do it because they don't have any power to keep their word. Huh? And so oftentimes, the only way you're going to make a promise you can keep is that you get the witness of the Holy Spirit to speak that thing out of you. And then he reminds you and he enforces, and it's between you and him whether you do what you're supposed to do. But most promises are just words, folks. And if you believe them, you believe them. If you don't, you don't. You just wait and see if it's going to happen. But the only place that is not true is in God's covenant. His promises are not just mere words. They're not mere words. The Bible says this. Let me show you this. I'm not sure how to go about doing this with y'all because I think I'm going to have to do some more later on but i'm going to give you as much as i think i can give you go to genesis 15 verse 7 yeah, i guess that was my introduction but i never gave you a scripture did i and genesis chapter 15 now in genesis chapter 12 Abraham had been told by God, he said, get away from here. Get away from your kindred, your this, your that. Hmm? Leaving cleave was really what he was saying. The first thing God does for you is get your personal life together. Why do you think he told Abraham to leave his father, his relatives, take your wife and go somewhere? To get rid of the, the in-laws and outlaws interference, isn't that what Jesus said? He said, "I didn't come to bring peace. I've come to set mother against daughter. Never said husband against wife, mother against daughter, in-law against in-law, all that kind of stuff. He came to divide you out, come and pull you out of there, so that he could have relationship with you. And so he will bring you out." of a confusing situation and get you off to himself so that he can do these things. And God began to make promises to Abraham. Now, Abraham probably treated God's voice like a lot of other things. He believed it as long as he felt good about things and he could go about his routine and he just, you know, had this kind of, just like we do. (laughs) But then when you have a bad day, you're not so sure God's working for you no more. And so Abraham had his ups and downs with God. He had a habit of saying his wife was his sister. You know, some men down in Egypt put a little pressure on him about his wife. And he said, you know, just tell them you're my sister because they might kill me because you're cute, you know, for your age and stuff. And so he believed God about these things, but he had a lot of unbelief. And so he got down to a point in his life where he had been walking with God for a number of years. And when he first met God, God promised him that he would give him as many children as the stars in the sky and sand of the sea. And he hadn't seen nothing yet. And so Abraham brings this up with God in a conversation years down the road. And this is where we come in on this conversation. And he says, where did I tell you? Uh, Genesis 15. (laughs) All right. Okay, why don't we start in verse one? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, "Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward." And Abraham said, "Lo, God, what will you give me?" He said, "I've been waiting for you to show up. because all I've had from you so far on this deal has been a promise, and he ain't go promising me some more stuff again. And so Abraham has doubt and he expresses it to God. See, that's where he wins and we lose some We try to give God our little flimsy faith confession and think that's impressing him and know we full of doubt and unbelief. So Abraham then, he says, verse 3, verse 2, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So he says, if I don't get some children of my own pretty soon, I'm going to have to leave all my stuff to this foreigner. So he's trying to get God to move based on the fact, God, I know you don't want to give me. You ever seen what LEAs are and his kids look like? And you done made me very rich. I can't leave all my stuff to them. Isn't that what we do to God sometimes if it's taking too long to do something? God, if you don't do it, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to serve you no more. I might have to lead a ministry, lead a church. I don't know, you know, you can't give me no money, God. You know, my goodness, that's leaving there. And Abraham said in verse 3, Behold, to me you have given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. Now that was common. People did not leave servants without provision when they died. And so all Abraham had at this point was servants. And he was afraid that God was not going to come through for him. And he says, Verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be your heir. In other words, what I told you, I meant. Hadn't you noticed when God, you go to God and say, Well, God, this ain't happened yet. You must not want me to have this. And you must not. And what do you do? You go thumbing through the Bible, he gives you the same scripture he gave you 15 years ago, the first time y'all had this conversation, you was mad at him. And he keeps giving you the same one over and over and over again. Why? Because he never changes. And his promise to you never changes. When he tells you he's going to do something, he totally intends to do it. He doesn't care about how long it takes. And he says in verse 4, he says, This shall not be your heir, but one who comes forth out of your own bowels, your own body, shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if you're not. Now, he did not done this before. He's told him this before. Look at these stars. God's reiterating the same promise he gave him. The stars will be able to, to count for number. And he said to him, so shall your seed be. Verse six, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it him for righteousness. So this has happened to Abraham before he believed God. You ever you ever read the word and get strong in your faith again after you confessed and said it won't happen and you get all embarrassed and upset and I believe you, God. Well, this is what's happening to him. He says, and he's back righteous again. Every time he believes God, righteousness is reestablished in his life. And verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. I'm the same God that promised that to you the first day I met you. To give you this land to inherit it. He says, verse 8, and he said, God, Lord, whereby shall I know this? How will I know this? You have a right to ask God, how are you going to know for sure? If your, if your faith is weak in something, and you don't want it. you're tired of playing games with God. God, I believe you, but you know you don't believe him. God, I believe you right after church is over, but then when I get home on Monday morning, it's rough. I just don't believe you. There is a way that you can know that you know that you know that you know that you know. And it is not tied up in ten confessions until your tongue is dry. And it's not tied up in more cards to put around your house. You can stick them on your forehead and make a phylactery and... Go through the streets and beat yourself up and try to get it in you any kind of way you want. It's not based on any of those things. But there is a way that you can know. And he said to him in verse 9, Take me a heifer three years old and a she-goat and a ram, turtle dove, pigeon. And he took all of these and cut them down the middle and the blood ran. The way that you know, that you know, that you know, is that the blood talks to you and makes this more real than a mere word. It makes it more, this word is more final. This word now has a life on it that will give life to you. This word now has a a promise in it, and it's an oath and a promise. It's not just mere words where mama forgotten and we didn't get to go like she said we was going to go. We just don't go this time. Maybe mama feel better next time. God is not like that. He shed the blood of his son so that we would know that this is not just something nice to say to us because he loves us, but he actually means to do. Everything that he says he's going to do, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all a document signed in the blood of Jesus, and that blood speaks to us that this is more than real. This is more than alive. This is alive in you. It's alive for you, and it will work through you and be in your house, in your life forever, and it will be given over to your children when you're not here. That's the kind of thing that he gave him. So when you get to that place where you don't know, how will I know? God, I've been believing you for all this time. How will I know? I want to believe you all the time, but there are days when I don't feel good about it. And actually right about now, I'm about to give up because I'm tired of waiting, God. Huh? You want to go be something else if you could be. So we know. Because the blood of Jesus speaks to us. It speaks. When you read the word of God as a Christian, the way that you know God means this personally for you is that the blood turns up the volume. That blood will speak to you in such a way that you vibrate on the inside. Where God is putting it in you and making it real on the inside of you. This is not some little cliche thing that people talk about. Well, God is just impregnating y'all. with We ain't talking about that. We are talking about a voice from out of eternity that says God has provided everything for you. And you can't mess this up. You can't get rid of this. This is so in you. That every time you pick up your Bible, it'll speak to you even more. You try to divorce that Bible, put it under your pillow, and say, I don't want to talk to God about that because I don't just really want it no more. That that blood will talk to you and say, you know I love you. You know I told you could have this. I'm going to do this for you. Why are you quitting on me like that? That blood will put you under conviction To the love of God that says that I love you. I have given everything for you. There's nothing I've withheld from you. I've given my life to you. When God made the promise there with the animals, it was a symbol of what he would come and do in life. When men would make a covenant with one another, they would make what they call a covenant of strong friendship. This is not like... Hey, girl, come on. Huh? It's much closer than that. Strong friendship. Where they would split the animals and walk through the pieces. And they would say, I am walking through these pieces. they walk through them in a figure eight. And what they would say is... From here until eternity, I promise you that I will not betray you. I'm going to be your friend forever. When your children and my children are alive on this earth, they are going to be friends. They're going to fight for one another. They're going to take care of one another. Everything that I have is yours and everything that you have is mine. And we are locked in together in this covenant. And that lasted. They did a symbolic Death. They commingled their blood. You've seen that thing where they cut the wrist and do a bloody handshake. And so the blood is commingled, meaning that they are one life now. But they lived. Jesus is the only person that cut a covenant of strong friendship. And to show you he meant it, he took his own life. So we know God means it. See, I could tell Shirley, I said, girl, I'd die for you. But I'm going home and eat me some chicken, and we're going to talk about this again tomorrow. <laughs> huh? I'm still living. So I haven't really proved anything to her. Now, we've walked through the pieces, and we've got a pretty strong friendship. When I get low on money, I come to her, and she get low on money, she come to me. You know, but there are certain things that belong to her I can't have. Huh? simply because they have it they're not all things shared like it is with somebody who would give their life totally what Jesus did when he ratified the covenant in the, the new covenant is his blood he said that everything that is wrong with you i take it away from you and just to show you that that's true i'm taking it on this mortal body I'm killing it putting it to death and when you wake up you're going to be raised up a new person with my new life that's in you to prove that you can live it out this time you are not a failure you are not a wreck you are not somebody who has to live with with disease in your body simply because you can't get the scriptures right and you don't get... come on folks the blood of jesus speaks I took that already. I took that for you. Don't put up with the devil's nonsense. Give it back to him. It doesn't belong to you because I've given my life for this and my blood is speaking that you are free. You are forgiven. No guilt, no shame, no anything anymore. You're free and you're elevated in righteousness. When you stand righteous, you can speak to any devil. And tell him to go back to hell in Jesus' name. And take that disease with you and anything else you brought with you. Take it all out of here in Jesus' name. See, that is something for the righteous to be able to declare. And the only way you know, how will I know, God, that you can going to do this for me? How will I know that I'm righteous? It said, you plead the blood. You said, God, that is my only defense. I started out with you pleading this blood. I didn't know anything but what they told me, pray the sinner's prayer. And I felt like something came over me and washed me, and I was as white as snow. And that was the blood of Jesus. That is our first encounter with the blood. And that should be our continual encounter with the blood. That we can go around as righteous people not acknowledging any sin anymore. It doesn't belong to you. It was taken already. All you have to do is confess and plead. This is your plea that you enter. The blood of Jesus. Father, I don't want to say anything except that I'm guilty. And please let the blood speak on my behalf. What does the blood say about me right now? He says you're healed. He says in spite of how you feel, you're healed. He says that I took every sickness and every sin on me, and you are healed. You are whole. You're 100% redeemed. Nothing can touch you. Nothing has any right to latch itself onto you because I am testifying on your behalf right now, and I see nothing but me and you. That old person you were is so gone, it's pitiful. We don't even need to talk about him anymore. But I can tell you that the blood of Jesus, when you entered that plea, then that witness testifies for you and he only has better things to say than what you're experiencing right now. I don't care what kind of feelings you have in your body if you feel sick right now. The blood of Jesus is testifying that you deserve to be healed. Isn't that what what Jesus said about the daughter of Abraham? He said she ought to be healed. What are y'all letting this lady walk around in this church for a boat over like this? She ought to be healed. Why are you letting her live like this? She ought to be healed. And that's what the blood of Jesus says right now. So if anybody needs prayer right now, we're going to pray for you. And this is our plea, that the blood is paid for everything. The blood has paid for everything. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let that blood testify for you. Let it speak on your behalf. Let that be your plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood. Let it talk for you. Praise God. Come on up. You want a prayer? We can pray for you.